Branton can give us insight into a familiar place, something called the family, where all is peaceful and good, where love and understanding flow freely, where words like responsibility and respect are a way of being in relationship, the family. Is it sounding familiar? Or shall I try again? Brenton can give us an insight into a familiar place. The family, the most complex arrangement of relationships and emotions that exist. The family, where love it, hate it, can exist in the very same hour. Where what's mine is mine until you want it and then it really is mine. Where I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you seem to be disappearing. We want to like our families. We want to be at home with our families. We want it all to go well. We're related. Now into that contemporary scene, we're going to transport the fifth commandment. Can you imagine standing at the base of Mount Sinai 3,400 years ago, the children of Israel, and receiving this command? Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, as all the commands begin. Jump down to verse 12 now. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Most of your Bibles say honor your father and mother. Some of your Bibles might say respect or regard, but most translations say honor your father and your mother. Now, if you read the commandment in Deuteronomy 5, it's parallel account, because remember, the commandments are listed twice in the Old Testament. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, it adds a little bit in verse 16b, honor your parents so you will live long in the land and it may go well with you in the land your God is giving you. That it will go well, that things will go pleasant, that it will be happy, that it will go on and on in the land. This is why you honor your parents according to Deuteronomy 5 and And it makes good sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like the right thing to do to honor and respect our parents? Doesn't it seem the best way? In fact, in my search this week for a civilization or a religion that would advise anything other than to honor our parents, I can't find one. It seems like all traditions believe it's good advice to honor our parents. Listen to the proverb from Africa, from Ghana. If your parents take care of you up to the time you cut your teeth, you take care of them when they lose theirs. You see, that's the fifth commandment in one proverb, in one sentence, isn't it? And it's through all traditions. It is also throughout the Bible. It isn't a teaching that changes. If we were to do a survey of Scripture in Leviticus, it says you should rise when the aged enter the room and turn your face towards them. Move into the prophets, and the prophets remind us to take care of the widows. If we forget the widows, we betray God. Move into the New Testament, where in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because the Pharisees cry Corban over their belongings. That means their belongings, their goods, their money is assigned to the temple for temple service for God's work. And Jesus says, how dare you call yourself sons of Israel and you would turn over your belongings to temple work, to religion, while your own family sits out there in need. You're not sons of Israel. That is not the fifth commandment. 
Move to the Gospel of John. Jesus is on the cross. Remember some of those last words? He turned to his mother and said, Behold your son. And to the disciple, he said, Behold your mother. And the text says that the disciple, probably John, took the mother of Jesus home to live with him. Jesus, making sure his own mother had a place to be once he was gone. Keep moving into the New Testament church, and you all get all the way to 1 Timothy 5, 8, where the counsel to the New Testament church is the very same. It says, if anyone doesn't provide for their relatives, especially for the immediate family, he has denied the faith, and worse, he's denied his relatives. He has been not a believer. The Bible is very clear about this command all the way through. We honor those who gave us life. But this was news to the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. The idea that we might need to do something different with our elderly than other people did with theirs. To the children of Israel, this command says you are not allowed to do what you see the other nations and tribes and clans doing. If someone is in your midst, an elder And they grow too old to walk. They grow too old to bear children. They grow too old to serve and and to produce and to bring things into the tribe and the clan. If they grow too old to clean themselves and bathe themselves and feed themselves, if they can't even walk with you from this location to the next, you must honor them. You must keep them with you. You must do these things for them And you see, the Israelites' instinct would be like the instincts of all those around them. If grandmother can no longer produce children and can no longer walk, we put her out in the desert in the sunshine. So she'll die. If grandfather is blind and deaf and he can't bring and contribute into the family, then we leave him out at night and the beasts eat him. This is what's happening in the neighboring communities around the children of Israel. Killing the elderly. Senilicide. This isn't the first time in the history of the world, and it won't be the last time in the history of the world, in the civilized world even, that the elderly are killed. But here comes this commandment from Mount Sinai. It says, no, 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 you won't be doing that. The call is to rise above and live above that. Yes, your instinct is to set them out, to discard them, to get rid of them. But I'm calling you to keep them. To go against your instinct, to rise above. Don't let your elderly die. Why? Why? There's a justifying clause in this commandment, which is interesting because many of the laws given in the, near, in the ancient Near East didn't come with any justification at all. They're just a list of rules. But in this command and in several of them, there's a justifying reason. Honor them because we want to live long in the land and and we want it to go well. Honor them because they'll bring continuity between generations. You, You honor your elders and your children will honor you and it'll weave the family together throughout the generations and, and you'll be strong and secure. Honor them because they're, they're sort of the, the holders of the community wisdom. They have knowledge which turns into wisdom. They didn't write these things down then. They speak the wisdom to you. So honor them because this is how you'll learn about your tradition. Take care of these people. Honor them. The fifth commandment says you're called to do this and you do this because who does this for us? God. God never asks anyone to do something he's not already doing. God honors humans who don't necessarily deserve any honor, do they? 
So God says, you honor because I honor, and, and you do it because they bear the image of God. If you remember back to the commandment, make no graven image, the second commandment. Do you remember us saying that, that perhaps we're not to make images and idols because we're to bear the image of God in our very soul as we walk around in the world? Do you remember that? So you honor these people because these elderly people are not animals and creatures. They, they are the image of God. Walking around in the world, they have the ability to bring healing and wholeness. That's why the Talmud, the Jewish teachers would say, there are always three involved in a human, in a person. God, a mother, and a father. And God would say to the Jew, when you honor your parent, your mother or your father, you're also honoring me. So all these things, Commands are tied together now. Commandments 1 through 5. When we honor the elderly, we're honoring God. This is what the commandment is saying. Now, now what is it not saying? It's a good question to ask. What isn't the commandment saying? This is probably not a command you can use to beat your children up with. This is probably not the one where you say, the Bible says you need to obey me. This, this command is addressed to adults, not to children. And by the way, children, the Bible assumes that you're already obeying. Isn't that nice? There, did you notice there's not a command to the children? There's a couple of reasons for that. Children don't, aren't thought of in the same way, right? But this commandment's addressed to adults. Adults looking at their elderly parents. So it's not a commandment we can use to, to hit our kids over the head and demand obedient behavior. If you want to do that, you'll need to use a different text in the Bible. I just caution you, don't do that. Because if I do that with my child, she's likely to do it back to me. The the texts you heard earlier are a great example, aren't they? If you choose to go to Ephesians, children obey your parents. Remember, it comes with a dual reciprocal command. Fathers, parents, don't provoke your children. Yeah, now we're preaching. I call it biblical tango. I say a text... My child says a text. I practiced on her this week with the fifth commandment when we were exercising one day just to see if I could get anywhere. We're exercising and she's talking about a villa she wants to build somewhere someday when she builds her own house. And I said, just don't forget to build the part where dad and I will live because we're going to live with you when we get old. No, you're not, mom. Just like Kristen and Sarah are going to live with the Marais. We're going li- to live with our daughters. No, you're not, Mom. Yeah, we are. I said, Amanda, the fifth commandment says you honor your mother and your father. She said, no, no, no. The Bible says you give and you receive. And thus the dance begins. So you, you don't use the command this way. It's not a command to insist that our children obey. It's addressed to adults. What else isn't it? It isn't a command that asks us to pretend that everything is all right. It isn't a command that says, just act like you're honoring everyone. Just when you come to church, pretend everything is okay. It isn't a command that asks you to posture or to wear a mask. It isn't a command, a saying that says a saint's reputation often depends upon the silence of his or her family. You heard that? A saint's reputation often depends upon the silence of his or her family. This is not a command about that. Everyone keeps quiet so that no one knows what's really going on in the family. And then we can honor our parents. It's not about that. It isn't a call to endure whatever negative behaviors a parent wants to exhibit. 
What about a child who is enduring a dishonorable parent? What do you do then? Have you thought about that? Is it possible to honor a dishonorable parent? Is it possible in the middle of abuse and misconduct and toxic relationships to, to honor a dishonorable parent? Does the commandment speak about that? Does the commandment speak about the complex environments we ask our children to call home? Think about that for a moment. I was amazed when I filled out the girls' applications for school for this next year. 11th and 12th grade, one of the questions on the application for the academy says, who is responsible for this student? Now, this is not the bill. That's another question. Who's going to pay the bill? This question was, who is responsible physically for the care of this child? Do you know that I had eight answers I could choose from? Would that make sense to the children of Israel? I could choose mother, father, mother and father, other parent, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, legal guardian. What does this commandment say to the child we've placed in such a complex environment and ask them to call it home? Have you thought about that? What does the commandment say to someone like Prince, Prince Albert's daughter? I was interested in the news this week because this young 14-year-old just lives right here in Palm Desert. Did you hear that? Prince Albert of Monaco. Prince Albert II has another heir, another daughter, another child born. He has a 2-year-old apparently, and now this 14-year-old that's just been, her identity's been released, and she just lives out, out the highway a few miles here. What does this commandment say to someone like her when the news is public this week that, that she's the daughter of royalty, Monaco, and the official statement comes from the court? Well, she is my child, but she can't use the name, and she will never be a princess, and she's not an heir to the throne, but she, she's welcome to visit the palace. What does the commandment say to a young girl like that? What does the commandment say to the children that were represented on the ABC special this week I know television and media is very skilled at putting together a presentation that will pull on us emotionally. This one Thursday night, prime time, was amazing. Program on the foster care system in America. Did any of you see that? Called Calling All Angels. What does the commandment say to a child born in a crack house? Honor your father and mother. What does the commandment say to the little three-year-old boy they showed on this news program who rolls around on the carpet like a dog and laps his food up off of the floor and sits on the front porch and, and pants in the middle of the night because he's been raised by the dog, not the parent? Wow, what does the commandment mean for kids like that? What does it mean for a a girl I met in a college class I'll never forget years ago, a Korean-American. She is a first-generation American-born Korean. And in the evening, when her father would pull into the garage, she would take her younger sisters and her mother, and they would all run for a closet. While the father pulled in, and they listened for the footsteps to come down the hallway, and they decided if the evening greeting would be an evening beating or not. And more than 50% of the time, it was. And now a young adult woman stands up not knowing what to do with God the Father and religion and the church and honor your parent. What does the commandment mean for children raised in that environment? What, What does the commandment mean? Just those of us who have endured multi generational conflict and we have emotional calluses 
from the relationships we've had with our parents or our grandparents. When it feels like the image of God is not really represented at home, but more the mark of the beast. What does this commandment ask us to do when someone smears the image of God? Can you honor parents who are not worthy of being honored? I think it's important to talk about if we closed our eyes and you were all very honest, we live with a lot more of this than we want to admit. We dress up clean and we come to church and we sit tall. But when we go home, we live with a lot of relational garbage. Would you agree? So it helps us to talk about it. How is a Christian supposed to relate and deal and be? Lewis Smeads offers this suggestion when we're talking about honor, the difference between honoring a parent like the command asks you to do and loving a parent. To honor a parent means a parent gave you life. And that was a gift from God. And they are made in the image of God. And they might not be doing anything with, positive with that image of God. But indeed, they were created in the image of God and they gave me life. And I can honor that that is their status. It is a completely different thing but to move to this part of the conversation and say, I love that person. For love, love is just an instinctual spontaneous choice to be in relationship with this person. It's fun. You want more of it. Can you love a person who does these things that I've described? Not so easily. And so uh, even an adult child's mind is confused. How do I honor and and love? And, And this gives us some clarity because maybe we can honor the person who gave us life and maybe not necessarily can that person be loved. Maybe you cannot be in a loving relationship with every parent. Maybe it's not healthy. Maybe it's dangerous. Maybe there are good reasons why you should stay away. There's a difference between honoring and loving, enjoying. To honor someone is a moral choice. Whether they deserve it or not. Because that's what God does. Well, then what about forgiveness? Because forgiveness steps right into this equation. Is there a way, is there a way you could bring loving relationship, restore it back? Some people say that Christians are a lot like jellyfish. If some of you visit an aquarium this summer, stop in front of the tank where the jellyfish swim. I can recommend the Oregon Aquarium on the Oregon coast. Beautiful spot where we looked at jellyfish a couple of summers ago. You know, these creatures are 95% water, and they have no spine, no bone, no backbone. Some people say Christians are just like jellyfish kind of moving through the world. They have no spine. Christians have to forgive because that's what it means to be Christian. No offense is allowed. I, I have to forgive you, and you have to forgive me. I have no backbone. Is that what forgiveness is? It was also two, three years ago, three years ago, August 2003, it was 114 degrees outside and our air conditioner gave out. And it had been out for a couple of weeks by the time the repairman came. We were getting a new unit. And I I stayed with the serviceman while he installed it because I don't trust any service people. It's a problem that I have. I want to watch the old part go out and the new part come in. Thank you very much. Let me see it. So I stand out there in the heat with this guy who kept saying, you can go in the house now. No, I'm okay. I'll just watch you. 
So he tells me a story about the people who do him wrong in business. The people who he comes to install the machine, but, but he never gets a check to pay for his services. And he starts getting a little agitated as he talks. He's getting a little worked up and he's got a wrench. He's cranking on things there. And he starts talking about these ridiculous people who do him wrong and, and that's not fair. And if, if I don't collect a check in, in one month, I went bankrupt in one month last summer. Do you know that's like not to have any money to feed your family and to pay for the equipment? And he's getting worked up and worked up. And I took a step back because he made me a little uncomfortable. He kept talking. He said, you know what you do with people who don't pay their bill? This is what you do. You go home and you get your gun and you come back. No pay, no air. Just like that, right in front of my eyes. He's acting like he's got a gun and he's going to shoot up my AC unit. No pay, no air. I'll pay my bill. This is the world, right? This is what the world does. You do me wrong, I do you wrong. Christians are called to forgive because God forgives. Does that mean we're spineless like jellyfish? It certainly doesn't mean I go home and get my gun and shoot things up. Does it mean I'm like a jellyfish and I move through the water? No spine. I direct you to uh, Dr. Robert Enright on this conversation, the Forgiveness Center, I believe out of the University of Wisconsin. Fabulous material, Christian perspective Uh, Helping us understand Christian forgiveness and the difference between Christian forgiveness and Christian reconciliation. Where this definition is used for forgiveness that I think works very well. Forgiveness means turning to good in the face of wrongdoing. Forgiveness is a choice. I turn to good in the face of wrongdoing. You can think of it another way as a debt. Let's say that that Steve um, has done me wrong and and now there's a debt between the two of us. He owes me because he did me wrong. I'm a debt collector and I can choose to collect the debt anytime I want or write off the bill anytime I want. And and sometimes we get some satisfaction out of knowing people are in debt to us. I can just say to him, I refuse to have you be in debt to me. I'm going to turn to good in the face of wrongdoing. I'm going to choose good. That's forgiveness. Reconciliation would be him standing up and saying to me, I also want to choose good and I'm sorry. And both parties would move towards reconciliation. You see the difference. Sometimes reconciliation can happen. Sometimes it cannot But forgiveness can always happen. Forgiveness is much more than we'll just go take a jog in the park and everything will be better in the morning. Forgiveness is work. But forgiveness can happen. And perhaps, in some cases, reconciliation can happen too. Sometimes we're afraid to forgive because we think it means we need to forget. And Dr. Enright says something interesting about that. He says we forgive, but we learn. We don't forget. We forgive, but we learn from what happened to us. We remember to protect ourselves. We remember that these injuries could happen again. We remember so that we'll be fair and just and insist on that for ourselves. A good example is the Pope from 1981. Do you remember when he was riding in the open-air car? He was shot. How did he handle that situation? He stopped riding in an open-air car and he installed bulletproof glass around the Pope mobile. 
But he also went to the prison and offered forgiveness to the person who shot at him. While he was there, he didn't let him out of jail. He offered forgiveness. When we forgive, we learn and we remember so we know how to protect ourselves, but we let go of the debt. And all of this is important because the fifth commandment takes all of these things into consideration. Honor and love, forgiveness and reconciliation, they're all interrelated when we get to the fifth commandment. How much is expected of us depends upon every situation that you endure, that I endure. But I know this. If we want to ensure that our children coming up behind us know how to treat their elders, we will think carefully about how we treat ours because they are watching. They will learn how to treat us by watching how we treat the ones going in front of us. I have one more thought about this commandment since it is not a commandment addressed at children and it isn't a commandment addressed at adults. I wonder for those of us adults and especially those of us getting older, when's the last time you thought about how, how you might make it easy for your child to honor you? Have you thought about that? I haven't. What could I do that would make my daughter's life easy so they could, with ease, honor me? What might I want to change so that when they think about honoring their parents when my teeth fall out, that it's a pleasant thought, not just a responsibility? What might I need to do differently? Hold up a mirror and ask the question, am I easy to talk to? Do I listen well? Do I withhold judging? Do I have expectations that are heavy and unrealistic? Do I appreciate the unique child I have? Or am I busy wishing they were something else? When and how do I exert control over my children just to get my own way? Could I change any of that? Could I make their job easier? They are good questions for me to think about as I listen to the fifth commandment. And then I recognize that while our prayer is that everyone not only be able to forgive, but that they reconcile, and I hold out great hope for this, because that's what God is about. You believe that? That is what God is about. And while I hold out great hope that that people won't just be able to honor, but they'll also be able to love and enjoy and relish relationships, I realize that this side of heaven, it doesn't always happen and that some of us will grieve that and that it won't be. And that for those of us with eyes and ears, for people who don't have a good fifth commandment experience, maybe the rest of us can step in and provide some of that community. Do you think? Maybe some of the rest of us can provide some of the healing and wholeness. This side of heaven, we won't all get to experience God's potential for us in the family. But it's worth fighting for. It's worth praying over. It's worth working towards. To do otherwise is to let the devil win. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. To just say, it doesn't matter. My children and I will never agree in this life. That's to let the devil win. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't do that. I'm going to read you a story this morning that began as a song. 
And what is interesting about this story is that it was written out of the grief of a parent who lost two children, two children born dead. Just a little song this person composed to help him with his own grief process. But when the publisher approached him and said, you know, maybe this could become a story, and then the story did become a book, what surprised this author even more was that when this children's book was released, Love You Forever, it immediately sold out in the retirement communities. The publisher called and said, you're never going to believe who's buying your book. In Arizona, the retirement community sold out in the bookstores in Arizona. And pretty soon sold out nationwide to, to grandparents of all things. And soon they learned that grandparents were buying it for parents and parents were buying it for children and children were buying it for grandparents and everyone was buying it for everyone. What began as just one little song to relieve the grief of a man who, who lost two children. Fifteen million copies later. Isn't that amazing? Love you forever. If you haven't read it for a while, here we go. Got your tissue? You're going to need it. Robert Munch, love you forever. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The baby grew. He grew and grew and he grew and he grew until he was two years old and, and he ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelves. He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator and he took his mother's wash, watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, this kid is driving me crazy. But at nighttime, when the two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed, and if he was really asleep. She picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The little boy grew and he grew and grew and he grew until he was nine years old and he never wanted to come in for dinner and he never wanted to take a bath. And when grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at nighttime, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room and called, crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of the bed. And if he was really asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was a teenager. And he had strange friends and he wore strange clothes and he listened to strange music. Sometimes the mother felt like she was in a zoo. But at nighttime, when that teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of the bed. If he was really asleep, she picked up that great big boy and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. The teenager grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was a grown-up man and he left home and he got a house across town.
But sometimes on dark nights, the mother got into her car and she drove across town. It's just a metaphor, folks. Don't get worried. (laughs) One psychologist who reviewed this book said, okay, this part is just weird. It's a story. If all the lights were out in her grown son's house, she opened his bedroom window, crawled across the floor, looked up over the side of his bed. If that great big man was really asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. One day, she called up her son and said, You better come see me because I'm very old and sick. Her son came to see her, and when he came to the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I love you forever. I'll like you for always. But... She couldn't finish because she was too old and too sick. The son went to his mother. He picked her up and he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he sang this song. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my mommy, you'll be. When the sun came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the staircase. Then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping, and he picked her up in his arms. And very slowly, he rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. While he rocked, he sang to her, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living My baby, you'll be. Not the fifth commandment. This is Eden. This is heaven. If you know somebody with whom you have a fractured relationship, would you go buy this for $5? Write a note. Stick it in the mail this week. If you know somebody with whom you could reconcile... Because this is the fifth commandment exploded. It was Eden and it is heaven where where there are no tears shed over relationships. This is what God wants for us here on this earth. Not when we get to heaven, but now. Could it be so? Mm, That's my prayer, that it be so. Amen.